Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. together this morning, I'd like to um, uh, pray. We're in the middle of a series on work. Uh, last week, we looked at the idea that there is a God who works, and since we have been made in the image of God, uh, for us to work is one of the ways we image Him, and that uh, part of His work is using our work to change us. So today, we want to look at the whole idea of um, uh, how do we trust God to do that. So let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, I want to ask that um, today we could believe you that our work matters to you, matters to other people, that the activities that we're involved in are not just throwaway times between extraordinary events, but they are how uh, lives are changed, starting with ours. So uh, I would pray that you would strengthen our faith to see that you truly are at work in our work and at work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things that happens when we talk about work is that it feels like there's a group of people that like their job and they're going, yes, and a group of people that don't like their job and go, okay, tell me how to get one of those jobs that I can say yes to. And another group of people that don't have a job saying, I would praise God if I just had a job. And other people are working hard at something that most people don't call a job and saying, you know, this is work too. And so uh, for all of us that have a, a way of being offended, can we just hang those up? And uh, let's just kind of look at the, there's a way of being encouraged rather than a way of being offended today. And yet it is interesting how even marketplace employers want you to feel good about yourself as a job. So if you work at Apple and you're a service technician, you get to be called a genius. If you uh, work uh, for uh, one particular company, uh, they call their receptionist the director of first impressions. Uh, There was a graphic designer who called himself the crayon evangelist. Um, A founder of his company called himself the chief amazement officer. And one communications director called himself the ambassador of buzz. So in the midst of all people trying to say, yeah, this is my job and I feel really good about myself because of my job, uh, we want to take a little bit different look at that and say, you know, there is a you you bring to a job rather than a you that you get from your job. And so uh, I'm going to look at Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses, uh, a story about a person named uh, Zacchaeus. But uh, in the way that Luke wrote his uh, work, There wasn't a chapter break there, and there's actually a nice uh, wedding of two stories together. So I'm just going to tell the first story, and it's about a a blind beggar. Mark tells us his name is Bartimaeus, and um, Bartimaeus is begging on the road just outside of Jericho, and he hears a commotion coming, and he asks some of the crowd what's going on, and they say, well, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is coming through uh, Jericho, and so he yells, Uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd rebukes him, telling him to be quiet. And so he speaks it over the crowd. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus asks for the man to be brought to him. And he says, what do you want from me? And he says, I want to see. 
Now, it's an interesting question or dialogue. Most of us would say, well, of course he wants to see, but he's an adult man. His occupation at that point in his life is beggar. And actually, the best assets for a beggar are the most deformity or dislike the person with money that comes by you. So for Bartimaeus to say, I want to see, is he's willing to say, I'm giving up everything I know. I'll take the sight, that is a trade up, but I'm going to be a lousy beggar if I can see, and, and, and the people aren't going to have the same mercy on me. And Jesus grants him his request and says, it's your faith that's accessed me. And in, in that dialogue, Bartimaeus is healed, and it says that he praised God and followed Jesus. So he just kind of reoriented oriented his entire life to the idea, I want to follow Jesus. And almost the part that's unsaid there is, what do you want from me? It would have been, I want to see, and the unspoken part would have been, you. And when Jesus granted him, okay, you're going to see me, that's where the praise and that's where the whole different life orientation um, happened. What we're supposed to notice is that here's somebody that's on the margin, in a sense, as a down and outer. And the crowd's telling him to be quiet. He doesn't obey the crowd, and he accesses Jesus, and he finds himself somebody who's invited in and follows Jesus as a God-praiser. So now it moves into chapter 19, and we find not a down-and-outer in Bartimaeus, but an up-and-outer in Zacchaeus. And the, and the um, first couple verses read like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and wealthy. So there are a couple of things that Luke automatically wants us to know, especially in light of this poor man who is blind, who is a beggar, is that now we're talking about a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, which gets uh, frequently mentioned tax gatherers and sinners uh, as this group of people that Jesus would either talk to or whatever. And just a few um, verses later in Luke uh, 19 here, that same category gets labeled tax gatherers and sinners. So there's already a, an assessment, a moral assessment, that you can't be a good person and be a tax gatherer. And he's not just a tax gatherer, he's the chief tax gatherer. So like he has minions that are tax gatherers. And, and he's the person who is so adept at it that it says he was wealthy. The problem with being a wealthy tax gatherer, if you're one of the uh, crowd, is that you think his wealth came from you, and that you are less wealthy because he's more wealthy. And to some extent, that's probably true. The interesting thing was that there weren't uh, an established set of tax laws that you could do your own taxes. They were almost a little cryptic set of code that only the tax gatherers knew the, du the nuances of, and a chief tax gatherer would have been the person that could have constantly dinged people, that tax, that tax, that tax. It's the kind of person that you don't really want them to know your business. You know, like um, I bought a house when I moved here a few years ago, and uh, within a month there was a knock at the door and it was a county assessor. Hi, can I come in? I'm going, no. <laughs> I don't want you to see any improvements since the last time I was taxed. I don't want you to have any idea what my house is worth, and I didn't invite you in for coffee. Uh, we could have something out here on the street, 
But uh, no, I don't want you in my house because the more you know about me, the more it's going to cost me. In a sense, that's part of what it was like to know Zacchaeus. People didn't simply not like him because he was dishonest, because we, we learned that about him too. But they don't like him because it gives him more ammunition as to why he can pick on them. There, there aren't necessarily deductions for children. There aren't necessarily dis- deductions based on income. It's a per head tax on donkeys or square footage or whatever it happens to be, and they can almost impose them at will. And so he becomes his own collecting agency. And all he has to do is contract to a bottom line that goes to Rome. You see, all these things are playing into why the crowd doesn't like Zacchaeus either. They didn't like Bartimaeus because he was an imposition. They don't like Zacchaeus because he feels like an oppressor. What's interesting is here's a Jesus who walks into Jericho and heals the castaway from the crowd and is going to address the castaway on the other end by the crowd. So as he kind of walks through Jericho, uh, this chief tax gatherer who all the Jews would see as an agent of Rome against them, even though he's Jewish by his ethnicity, they're not willing to call him that. They're willing to call him a tax gatherer or a sinner. So when Jesus is coming through, uh, Zacchaeus has a problem. Says he wanted to see Jesus, um, but because he was short, he could not use, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree, and and so he could see Jesus who was coming on the way. So what we have is a um, a guy who's short. Now, not not like we don't we don't know how tall, how short, but short enough that the crowd could keep him from seeing Jesus. It just kind of becomes part of the implication here that here's a man who is large in his community and small in stature. He's not getting the respect from the people that, in a sense, his position could demand. They won't even let him in to see Jesus. So then he does another undignified thing. He runs which is something that a person of dignity or a person who, who has some kind of respect in the community wouldn't be caught doing. And not only he runs, but he runs and climbs up a tree. So, I mean, it, it's like the crowd is being able to, in a sense, push him to act in ways that they feel like he pushes them to act all the time. They don't have to dignify him. They don't feel dignified by him. They don't have to respect him. They don't have to treat him with kindness because they haven't felt any of those things from him. And they actually feel justified in a sense of pushing him out to where he doesn't have any access to what he wants because he's keeping them from the access of what they want. So as we kind of get down a little bit further, uh, we we see that uh, now he's at a place where he sees Jesus, and he's got the whole thing the way he wants it. He's obscured. He gets to see Jesus pass by. But I start asking myself the question, why? Why did he want to see Jesus? I mean, if he really is this crook, if he really is this person who's wronging people, uh, why would he want to see this person that people think could be the Messiah, could be the one who ushers in a righteousness that, that he 
isn't even measuring up to the righteousness of the crowd. It feels like a very condemning thing for him to want to see Jesus. But I have a feeling that the rumor that he heard was that Jesus is a friend of sinners and tax gatherers. That Matthew, who writes the first gospel in the New Testament, was a tax gatherer who left his tax gathering or accounting firm and, and followed Jesus. In fact, Matthew had a party at his house of tax gatherers, and Jesus was at that party. And out of that comes um, what he, his opponents think is a damning title to Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. Jesus says, I'll own it. I am. I'm a friend of sinners. And I think it's that hope that Zacchaeus had when he ran through a crowd and he climbed up in a tree and acted all undignified to get a glimpse of the person who, who might be his friend. So uh, it says in verse 5 that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So that he came down at once, welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. So here we have uh, Jesus recognizing Zacchaeus. We don't really know how he knows his name, um, but he knows enough about him to say, hey, I've come here. I'm looking for you. I want to go to your house. Guy jumps out of the tree immediately, is glad, welcomes him, and, and in a sense takes him to his house. He's going to spend the night there, and they're going to have a party. They're going to have a feast to celebrate this Jesus. The problem is the crowd is saying, yeah, he went to the sinner's house. If we go to that house, we're going to become unclean. So, so the people who have kind of marginalized Zacchaeus and marginalized Bartimaeus are at this place of saying, we can't go see Jesus because he's not acting like the Messiah we want. He's actually acknowledging the people that we feel most important by not acknowledging. We feel better about ourselves when we can show that there's someone less than us. We feel better about ourselves when we can, the people that have power over us, that we can demonize or evil them. And so in the midst of that, Jesus is talking to what we have designated evil and what we have successfully marginalized. And, and they're stuck. And they thought they had made Zacchaeus stuck. And in the midst of that, here's a Zacchaeus who, who gets to interact with Jesus. It's, it's an interesting thing because it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, here and now I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back uh, four times the amount. A lot of commentators go, oh, it was all exaggeration. If he'd given half of his money to the poor here and now, like it gets translated, then he, if he's going to pay back those he's wronged more than four times, he doesn't have enough money to pay them back. And so they're saying it's just, it's just basically hyperbole to let us know he was repentant. But I, I want to suggest that he went through a radical encounter with Jesus that gave him a radical perspective 
on his work. That rather than being this person who could somehow glean and take everybody's wealth and make it his own, he's somebody saying, I don't need it anymore because I have found what defines me. It's not that I'm the chief tax gatherer. It's not I get to act any way I want because they already call me a sinner. He was able to shed what the crowd had labeled him and take on what he was hearing Jesus label him. And as he got a new identity, he could actually look at his wealth and look at his occupation in a completely different way. So he says, here now what I'm going to do is everything that I've amassed, I'm going to give half of it to the poor. It's interesting because there's another story about somebody that's called a rich young ruler. That when he says, hey, I've done everything right. So he's not that chief tax gatherer who's a sinner. He's the person who would have been admired by the crowd. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing that he's wealthy, said, you need to give everything you've got to the poor. And it says that the rich young ruler left sad because he was a man of great wealth. Contrast that with the Zacchaeus, who is a man of great wealth, who encountering Jesus is glad to say, I'm giving half of what I have to the poor. And to anyone I've wronged, I'll restore four times, which would have been double what he would have been required to pay simply by uh, a Levitical or an Old Testament law. So he's, he's going way outside the box as far as what he needs to do. And that's why the commentators would say, see, he's just trying to say, it doesn't matter to me anymore. I think he's obligating himself to a lifetime of recalibrating wrongs. The way I've wronged people by assessing them and taking their taxes in different ways, from now on, I'm going to recalibrate that so that I'm not going to wrong people. I'm going to be an agent of blessing. Rather than everything I'm entitled to take, knowing all the tax laws that they don't, I'm going to become a person who gives deductions. I'm going to be a person who knows how to grace people. I'll be able to have a sliding scale based on ability to pay. I'll be able to, and he started to envision what it would be like to be someone who, who could dispense grace rather than consume stuff. And, and his orientation changed from this person who was a tax gatherer, a chief tax gatherer, to where Jesus describes him next is saying, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. A way of saying a son of the covenant, a son of a loving relationship with Heavenly Father. And he changes him from a son of disgrace to a son of grace. From, from this person that the Jewish people had said, no, you represent Rome, to Jesus saying, you represent God. You're a son of Abraham. You get to bring the covenant to your people and to all those who would do trade in and out of Jericho. You get to become that kind of person. That's, that's the change that happened. What's interesting to me is that uh, I have changed jobs a lot. You know, my um, children think their ethnicity is gypsy. 
Okay, we, we have moved all over the country, been a youth pastor several times. I think I've moved over 20 times in my life. Okay, I think my kids have lived in over five different uh, states or provinces in, in Canada. And um, when they start talking about that, everybody they talk to assumes they were in the military. And they're going, no, ministry. And so uh, <laughs> I've done a lot of moving, a lot of changing. And, um, you know, in the midst of that, I, I have a tendency sometimes to either paint what's going on in a way that I need to move or paint what's offered as something compelling to move. There, there isn't this idea that somehow the things that I envision that I could do somewhere else, I can do here if I would just unpaint the darkness that I start to paint. And, and what I'm saying is that here is uh, Zacchaeus who's been labeled in the darkest of occupations of his time. It just gets a synonym called sinner. I mean, can you imagine your job that if whenever you said it, somebody, oh yeah, sinner. That, that's where Zacchaeus was at. His job was called sinning. Well, I guess I'll go sin against two or three families today. I mean, that, that's kind of his assignment. And in the midst of that, he doesn't go, oh, now that I've encountered God, I need to go be a fisherman because that's what Peter and Paul and, or Peter and James and Andrew and John did. It was, here is what I'm at. I'm this chief tax collector. And I can reinvent what I do with this job. I don't have to sin with this assignment. I can grace with this assignment. I don't have to be someone who represents darkness. I can be a son of Abraham in this job. I don't have to do something else for my life to matter. Because God says I matter, and I can bring that I matter to my job rather than that I don't matter to a place where my job has to give that to me. And Zacchaeus is this person who turns the whole thing around. And, and it's in that moment that Jesus said, that's what I've come for. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And he no longer has to desire to be accepted because he experiences acceptance. He doesn't have to be this person that somehow, if he can just get the crowd to approve, he's scored. It's, he was approved. Now he can go serve a crowd, even by being their tax gatherer, because those who are wronged are going to be repaid. And I don't think it was a here and now, one time forever, that the poor were going to be helped. He changed what he saw his assignment in the midst of keeping the same occupation. And so I, I hope that gives you hope today, that your job can't make you more valuable or less valuable, and that it was never designed by God, even though work was designed as something we would enter into. It was never designed to give you meaning. It was designed to be a place to express your identity. Expressing identity for Zacchaeus becomes, how do I express what it looks like to be the son of Abraham and the chief tax gatherer of Jericho? C.K. Chesterton has this one essay where he talks about how it, it's 
a divine thing to be fascinated with the repetitive. And he says that it's really more childlike than, than what happens with adults. And like, I, I have several grandchildren, and, and they like to startle me. So, you know, they'll be hiding somewhere, and they'll go, boo, and ah, and they think that's great. But then they think if they can just go right back to the same place and go, boo, that it startles me again. And then from then on, it has to be an act, right? Because I kind of know it's coming. So, boo, ah, boo, ah, boo. And, and they love it. They could do that all day, you know, all weekend. They could invite me to their house just to go, ah, you know, they, they love being able to startle me, you know. Uh, there's something about that where I kind of go, I'm tired of this. They're going, do it again, do it again, do it again. And, and Chesterton says, there's something about God that in a field of daisies, when the next daisy comes up, he goes, they did it again, they did it again. And a sunset after a sunset. I mean, wouldn't you be bored? As beautiful as they are, you know? I mean, you can visit them wherever you want all over the world. He's seen every sunset ever, ever. And when the sunset appears, he says, we did it again. He delights in that. And there's something divine about being able to delight even in the routine, even in the repetitive. And we've become such originality junkies that we think that that's where God is. And He is in the original, but He's also in the repetitive. And He invites us to express Him in the midst of a job that otherwise might be boring. If we, weren't, if we were trying to get our meaning from that same thing over and over, rather than bring meaning to that same thing over and over because of our relationship with the divine. So, what I'm basically saying is that if you don't have a story, your job will be meaningless. So let me give you an example. I walk my dog in this park every morning, and uh, there's a swimming pool in our park. So um, every once in a while, I sit down uh, along the walk and uh, talk to other people that might be in the park or whatever, okay? So let's say I'm sitting in the park, and there's a person that comes up to me, and they say, the baboons will swim at noon, and they're off, okay? Now, if that's you, you can say, that was odd. And perhaps you would think, that person's mentally ill, I must get them help. Or you could say, you know, I was just over looking at the schedule in the pool, and adults swim, they call it baboons, and it's at noon. And they were just coming over to let me know that the adult swims at noon, and it's called baboons. So the baboons swim at noon. Or they could be a spy. And that was code. And, and depending on what story you frame that little announcement will depend on how you react. So if it's a mentally ill person, you go and get them help. If it's a person who works at the pool, you say thank you. If it's a spy, you go, and that will be their greatest hour. You know, uh, there, there's an appropriate response to each time that, that you're going to tell that story. And your story to your work will give the meaning. 
You've been invited into a story of God. That's what Zacchaeus did. He went from being a chief tax gatherer to a son of Abraham. And he brought son of Abrahamness to a chief tax gatherer's responsibility and changed it. So this morning, I want to invite you on Jesus' behalf to his story. That when you look at a job that seems like it may make no sense, and if that's the story you let it stay in, you'll go to a nonsensical job, maybe even resentfully. Or you can be at a place where you're saying, this is just what fits me, and the job is only as good as it satisfies you which will never be sustainable because we were not designed for self-fulfillment, for something bigger, the glory of God. And so that you get invited to participate in work, that you might be an agent of grace. And it's through being in that story that changes our lives as well. And, and I just want to take a moment and say, if you've never entered that story and you're trying to make sense of this life on its own, I want to invite you today to consider another story. There'll be people at the doors that'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, there is a guest forum and a person who's conducting that would be happy to talk to you about it as well. But, but today, if you feel like you're in a very frustrating or meaningless story, I want to invite you to consider a different story. And if today you have let what you do shout an identity over you that has caused you to respond to that identity rather than to God, your creator, your father, who's invited you to walk with him, I, I want to invite you to recalibrate God doesn't go, if you do that, you can come to the table. This is God's work. It's called grace. And he invites you here to say, I love you. Whatever your job, however you're doing it, I would rather forgive you and be in love with you than wait till you get it right. So I want to invite you today to enter into the story that God is telling. It's one of love and of grace and of meaning. And that's my prayer for you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you delight in repeating the story in life after life after life. You're never tired of one of us getting it and walking with you. It delights you. So I pray that each person here today might know they aren't necessarily called to a job. They're called to an identity to take to that job, a loved one. I pray that we might experience that love today in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.